Hello, welcome to the Multipass. This is John Warren. This is your boy Fadi. What's going on, guys? So we have a lot to choose from. Well, there's two big stories, but a lot of sub-stories. We have Virginia and Infrastructure Week. I think just for purposes, in my opinion, of just getting it out of the way, let's talk, well, let's not even talk Virginia. Let's talk Tuesday, the elections, because we also had uh, New Jersey. What was your reaction to, to last week's elections? I was sending you stuff. You know, it's interesting because I remembered election day last year, which ironically, if I'm not mistaken, uh, we're coming up on one year anniversary where they called the race for Biden. But um, I remember a lot of doom scrolling and I remember sending you stuff being, I, I could be very optimistic, but at the moment I could also be very pessimistic. So I was sending you stuff like, man, 2022 is going to be a bloodbath based on this, et cetera. Um, I, I, I'll take something my father said, told, taught me is, is don't get too high on the wins and don't get too low on the losses. So I, I'm taking this as one of those like, okay, cool. I, I, I think I see what happened here and the difference between California. We could talk about that. Um, but my initial reaction was mark this up as interesting and relevant, but I don't know if it's defining or I don't know if it's going to give me any clues for 2022 as much, but I've, I I think I figured out the difference between uh, Virginia and California, but we could talk about it as we progress. But my initial thought was, okay, I'll, I'll add this to the puzzle, but it's not the entire picture. Right. And I, I, I'm of that mindset. I talked to, I talked to both my pollster and my mail person a couple of days later and they're, you know, they said there's reason for concern. But they said it's reason for concern. They said it, it's uh, it's just, it, it's a perfect situation. He, he said, my mail guy said, essentially, the people who are not taking it seriously are wrong. The people who are over, the people who think it's doomsday are wrong. Um, the biggest question is what lessons do people learn from what happened? Uh, you know, one of my biggest problems with the way that this whole thing was covered was, you know, at one point, Steve Karnacki, this is before the election, before it actually happened, and I had been, I started tweeting about it, you know, they're diving in, doing deep dives in Loudoun County, and I think if you live in New Jersey, if you're a really hardcore watcher of those particular races, that does matter, but I think um, as someone who has to, you know, win an election here and support elections elsewhere, I need the people who are watching MSNBC to know their individual home districts better than they know Loudoun County, right? It's, 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 we, it's, that's, I think the problem with cable news right now is it's become so insider that it's, you can't knock it because they're not necessarily doing anything that's not relevant, but what it's doing is it's taking people and telling them what should be important to them. And Loudoun County and what happens in these other states is not important to you because I need you as a as a person who tries to help candidates and, and works for one particular candidate. I need you to know your district. I need you to know what you need to do to win your district. And screw Loudoun County. Um, the other thing is, one of the things we talked about last week was in an election, one of the norms, or in a Virginia election, one of the norms is that the party out of power, I mean, the party in power, loses the governorship. The only person to ever break that, by the way, was Terry McCullough. He, he actually won during the Obama administration when he won his first time. But, and guess what? Not only do you lose power, but you lose it by a much larger margin than Terry McCullough lost. So the first question is, is it really oh, let's freak out, or is this normally what is expected? And 
not only was it expected, but it wasn't as bad as it has been historically. Then you look to New Jersey, again, that was expected if you look at history that Murphy was going to lose. So, and, and, and Murphy won. Again, Chris Christie came in during, you know, that's how Chris Christie got in. I don't think Democratic strategists and folks should ignore it, but I also think that the impact is overstated. Who do you, who who won the uh, Virginia race? I just can't. The name is is slipping me right now. Uh, Yunkin or Yunkin. Yunkin, gotcha. All right. So yeah, I, I agree with everything Trumpkin. you said. What'd you say? Some people call him Trumpkin. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, here's I agree with everything you said. The only difference I would stay as stay is, I think norms and expectations for me personally are going out the window because Trump changed the landscape so much. So it's not that I was expecting Virginia to flip because that's what it's supposed to do as much as it was unpredictable as I think a lot of races are. Um, the difference with that is New Jersey was closer than expected. So Virginia might've been expected to flip, but New Jersey was way, way closer than we thought for comfort. Right. And I think here is, I'm going to bring in California for a second because we saw a recent election in California, or a semi sort of recent election in California, right? Here's the difference I took away from it. Basically, Youngkin won off a fictitious, fictitious matter, right? He was basically running on CRT, which is not a thing in Virginia, right? And so he won an election. I'm going to say this. He won an election completely based off something that doesn't exist. And that goes back to the whole Republican messaging thing, right? And I go back to California because they were saying the same things in California that they were saying basically in Virginia. And I just wondered what happened there. And I think the difference is this. Larry Elder was... A uh, much more crackpot-ish. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. He's just much more of a lunatic candidate than Youngkin was, right? And I say that to say we were able to, on our side, villainize Larry Elder and say, hey, guys, you're in the middle of the pandemic, climate change, boom, boom, boom. If this guy's your governor, you guys are really going downhill really fast. And I think a lot of citizens came out and said, we can't let this happen. We might hate Newsom or love Newsom, but we just cannot let that guy uh, win the election. And in Virginia, the difference was they didn't really were able to vilify Youngkin at all, right? I'm not sure what McAuliffe ran on. I know we were paying attention from afar. I think a lot of it was anti-Trumpism, but I wonder if because Youngkin was middle of the road, he wasn't as as crazy as Larry Elder was, there wasn't that video of him saying crazy stuff. I wonder if a lot of people just didn't feel the need to go out and vote for Terry McCullough. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I, I think, I think everything you said is right, but there's two other elements too. I think you have to one factor in the fact that California is a long time liberal bastion. Yeah. Um, Virginia's a new blue, if it's still blue, right? So, so Virginia is a new blue, whereas uh, California is a long time liberal bastion. But the other piece, though, too, is there is a long-standing trend, you know, that we mentioned earlier about the party out of power. Uh, so I think I think that that was that was effective. Um, 
I think the other challenge that uh, the Republicans have is, well, Youngkin ran, a, the one thing I will credit Youngkin for, besides telling an absolute lie that pandered to racist, um, but Youngkin did something that he needs to be commended for. He knew how to walk that tight rope between appealing to Trump supporters and distancing himself, distancing himself. I think too many of the Republicans are too far gone. And I think, you know how a lot of times Democrats don't learn the right lesson? I bet you there might only be a handful of Republicans on the ballot in 22 who will be able to do that dance the way that Yonkin did it. Who will be able to do that dance the way that Yonkin mm -hmm. did it. Still think he was aided by the racism and aided by the trend of that. I, and I don't think we can discount that trend. But I also think that if he did one thing right, he knew how to execute that dance. And also, and this is going to sound even weird, is not only did he know how to execute that dance, he ran, I don't know if Trump, somebody was giving Trump drugs, he ran into a Trump that was surprisingly accommodating uh, as relates to um, not demanding to be there, not flying in there. So I do think that that's another thing you have to consider. But, you know, the last piece, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, but you know that McCullough actually outperformed himself. He outperformed Northam. And he outperformed every ever Democrat that's ever run for governor in Virginia. Again, a loss is a loss. But should that, should that be looked at, right? The fact that, Nor yes, McCullough lost and at the end of the day it's about wins or losses but if there's moral victories and what's funny is don't forget the the, the press and republicans will take a democrat and will find moral victory or moral losses to tell us we lost even when we won so in this particular case what can we, you know i'd love to know what the takeaway is in the fact that despite the way it turned out mcculloch did outperform every other democrat including himself and northam you know is there something to take away from that uh, I think there's something to take away, but it's not positive. And here's why I say that. And we saw um, a lot of pollsters talk about this. We know historically when turnout is high, Democrats win more elections. And we saw that in 2020. We saw it in the runoffs. We saw it in 2018. When Democrats show up, we, we tend to win the elections. In this case, they did show up. And so he did outpace himself. But he lost. And so the takeaway I have is it's going to take more than just showing up at this point. I used to always say, as long as we show up, we have the numbers. And in this case, we did show up and we didn't have the numbers. And so that that gives me a little bit of, of worry coming into 2022 is that I, I always thought that if we just showed up, that we would just outnumber them. Because statistically speaking, we do have more numbers. But um, it didn't turn out to be a victory this time. And, and we are seeing the gerrymandering and stuff. I don't know if you saw what happened in Utah. I sent it to you and stuff like that. It's it's What they're trying to do is is very, very aggressive. And we're doing that on our side. I'm not going to say it's not a both sides situation. But I guess what I'm saying is Republicans are used to playing that game. And we're just kind of catching up. And I just wonder if it'll set us back enough that we, we end up losing uh, next couple of elections. Well, I think, and you kind of hit something on the head. Um, first of all, uh, I think the biggest thing that will hurt us in 2022 might not be Biden's performance, 
it might not be even um, messaging. It's the two things are where we are in voter rights and where we are as relates to gerrymandering. Um, the problem that we always have too, and it's something that I was telling a friend of mine about yesterday, it's all things being equal, Democrats are, are better positioned to win on a lot of the different scales and, and they, they win within the rules but they have an opponent that works overtime to make sure that all things are not equal. And they have an, they have an opponent that tries to hold us to the rules and a media that tries to hold us to the rules, but doesn't hold itself to the, the, the Republicans don't hold themselves to the rules and the media doesn't enforce those rules on Republicans. So I think, that, and I think that's where, that's the biggest lesson that we need to learn between now. You know, we can talk about messaging, we can talk about Biden, but I think the main thing is to realize that we're not playing in a fair game, and and some of the and and we're so focused and you know I I was trying to tell a friend of mine and we you know I've had this discussion. Democrats are the sports talk radio callers who even after the team edges out the win is calling for the general manager to be fired even though the team is headed to the playoffs first time in years potentially Super Bowl you got two or three MVPs potential MVPs on the team and you got the callers calling in uh, Bob from Winnetka calling in and complaining about, you know, the coverage options that he doesn't like. Republicans are the people who are in the stands. Cheer. They just know a win is a win, and they storm the field after the win, and we got to be more like them in that regard. I, I couldn't agree with you more. You, you talked about uh, we tend to win within the rules, but Republicans don't play within the rules. I, I, I That's the part I'm harping on now is – in my history, just in life, and I think in life, just a life lesson, when people aren't playing by the rules, you have two choices. You can walk away and just don't play their game. Or you enforce rules that are there so they have to play by the rules. And I say that to say, I'm glad infrastructure, we'll talk about it. I'm glad infrastructure passed. I'm glad we're going to work on Build Back Better. Uh, I think the most important thing now we could do is the voting rights bill. And uh, I saw before we started, so I could be totally wrong. I think Senator Casper was saying never, never. He just released a statement saying he never thought of a filibuster uh, change, but he's thinking about an exception just for the voting rights rule. And I think a lot of Democrats are starting to see that they might have to do something before 2022 in order to, to help. So I say that to say I'm glad all this stuff has passed, but you might need to pass a bill here that publicly might not be very popular as far as like, uh, it's not there's not a money number to attached to it. You can't say it's two trillion dollars or what have you. But a voting rights bill that helps kind of curb these gerrymanderings, that helps curb the Republican legislators that might just outright steal it. It's gonna maybe make election day a national holiday. It might, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I think that's the solution here. It's not walking away. It's not getting discouraged and walking away that they're not playing by the rules, but it's enforcing the rules. And I think that's the next step here. Well, here's the thing. And you, you hit something that just really sparked my mind. This is the problem with Democrats everywhere. In Was I'm talking elected Democrats. In Washington, in Springfield. Well, not so much in Springfield, because in Springfield, we, we, we used to have Speaker Madigan. But, and it's also a problem with progressives, the larger progressive group. The general public, and Republicans understand this and we don't, the general public does not give two flying Fs about process. Because if they cared about process, 
Merrick Garland would be a Supreme Court justice right now because they wouldn't have been able to play that. We are so worried about stuff that 95% of the electorate does not care about. They only care about the results, right? And I said it to say is when you look at the games and the stuff that McConnell has gotten away with, they do not, If you and if you compare them to some of the concerns that Manchin and Cinema and others that don't want to get rid of filibuster have, McConnell said the general public, American public, does not care, does not care about process. My people only care about whether or not we get Supreme Court justices that are going to repeal Roe versus Wade. The Democrats, I don't want them to be as reckless and as, you know, but we have to stop caring a lot more about process. We have to stop caring a lot more about process. And the problem is, is that the, the, the Republicans will remind us about our processes, but they won't follow processes. The media will hold us accountable for our processes, but they won't hold Republicans accountable for their processes. And a significant portion of our elected officials and our, our activists care about process. We have to figure out that balance and just say, you know what? It's, 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 it's you know, we just have to do what we got to do to get what we need to do for the American people. And I think that's a big thing that we have to come to terms with. Yeah, it's it's it reminds me a lot of sports. There was a franchise, uh, a football franchise named the New England Patriots, who year after year were just a cheating scandal after cheating scandal. But it seemed like nobody cared because they were winning, right? And if they were losing, it might have been a different story. But when you have six Super Bowl rings, you can say, "Cool, you criticize us for doing this, this, and this, but we got rings, and you guys don't, right?" And I think that's what the Republicans do is. Mitch McConnell not only stopped the Mary Garland stuff, but laughed in your face about it, and you didn't really do much about it. And I think and made up a rule, whole... made up a rule that he enforced in one election and didn't enforce in the next election as it relates to uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. That's what I'm saying. So it it they're going to move the goalpost. So that's what I was just saying about either you walk away, you don't play their game, but that ultimately means you're not playing the game. Or you just change, you make sure that they stay within the within the rules. And that starts with voting rights, I think. And that starts with, um, I don't know. Like you said, I don't want them to be as sharky or as messy. But it it's not a matter of like process anymore as much as a matter of life and death, in my opinion. We saw what happened with the COVID-19 pandemic when Trump was on, under, when Trump was the president. And then I... I'm slowly being climate change radicalized because we're running out of time. And it's like 10 to 12 years before we cannot stop any of this, right? And so Democrats can talk about, we talked about incrementalism a lot, and we talked about little wins, and we talked about all that stuff. We got to start swinging for the fences, and we got to start doing that fast, especially if 2022 is not going to go our way. We got to do it within the next year. Yeah, but see, this is where I'm going to push back a little bit on that. And I think it's a good transition over to, to, to Build Back Better and infrastructure. Um, I'm for pushing the envelope and breaking the rules a lot more, but I don't want that to be standard operating practice. I don't want that to be standard operating procedure. Also, the problem is with incrementalism, uh, or fi- not the problem with incrementalism, the problem with the anti-incrementalism crowd is you either have an all or none. And that the problem with, it, with mm-hmm. that is that, you know, as someone said, someone, uh, one of the people I follow on Twitter tweeted out, um, if you needed food for 10 days and someone showed up and only gave you food for five days, 
do you turn off, do you turn away the food that you need for five days, or do you take the five days worth of food and figure out how you're going to get the other five days, right? Um, and the problem with the people who are against incrementalism is that they will turn down the five days of food and let their family starve. And they will turn down uh, uh, an infrastructure bill and, 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 and you know, fortunately, there were Republicans there to make it up. I am for pushing the limits and changing and challenging the norm to do what we need to do to protect things. But I also think that we cannot underestimate the importance and significance and, 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 and how incrementalism moves the ball forward. Um, again, if it was up to a certain segment of the population, we would have held out for a public option. And we could be sitting here 10 years later still without health care, right? Uh, so I, I push back on people who poo-poo incrementalism because it gets us to where, where we're going to go. But what's funny is I wanted to move on to Alexa, but there, I mean to build back better, but there's two other things I wanted to point out. One of the things that you and I noticed on election night was in Minnesota, in Minneapolis, basically defund the police was on the ballot and it failed. Okay. Two, um, in Buffalo, New York, a Democratic Socialist won the Democratic primary for mayor, and the sitting mayor ran uh, against her in the general election as a write-in and won. So I think what the lesson there for progressives and for the far left, realize that I'm more or less, on a policy standpoint, more in line with you, but some of the things that you guys stand so steadfast over blow up. Now, what's funny is I thought it was a great outcome in Buffalo, but I think legally it's a bad outcome because, you know, in Illinois, if someone runs in a primary and loses, they're done. They can't run in a primary, lose, and then turn around and run as a write-in in a in a in a general election. You either. So I do think that I don't I don't like the fact that he was allowed to run, but since he was allowed to run, I do think that was the right outcome. Yeah, I mean, Tuesday was interesting because there was a lot of different things that we could um, um, address. I think defund the police as an idea has kind of died. Uh, I think people want what defund the police was standing for, but I think it's been so hammered against. And we saw that a lot of Democrats got killed in 2020 because um, they just kept running on it. And so I think that I think nobody's going to really truly run with that anymore. Um, I do want to, before we get back into, and we could, I'll transition for you if you, if you don't mind, but I don't want to poo poo small wins. I guess my theory is take it back to sports again. You could run on first and second down and you can maybe have a, a quick slant for third down and get the first down. But if you're down seven, second quarter, second, second down, you got to take a shot, right? Real teams Real good teams only take five to six shots downfield every game. It's not that much, but when it's executed good and it comes at the right time, it helps you win games and it helps you win uh, long-term. So I'm fine with running the ball. I'm fine with playing safe. I'm fine with getting to the fourth quarter in, in a close game. At some point, you got to take a shot, and, and we'll I'll help you transition. Just to be clear, infrastructure build back better are not – safe steps to me they're historic legislation legislation we have to talk about it in that way so those are big shots that we could rely on and and i'm glad that we have that now to to help in 2022 yeah well the thing is about what we got this week first and foremost um 
and we've talked about this every week. Um, this needs to be a spike. This needs to be end zone dances. This needs to be celebration. What we got was huge, was significant. Um, and it is something that we have to sell. Um, there's, you know, some, some real help. So let's think about this. So what's in the package? First and foremost, um, you have roads and bridges, $110 billion to repair roads and bridges, public transit. There's $39 billion in there for public transit legislation, passenger and rail, um, 66 billion electric vehicles, 7.5 billion internet access, 65 billion modernizing the electric grid, 65 billion. Airports, $25 billion. Uh, water and wastewater, $15 billion. And when you think about, I was so upset when I saw Ayanna Pressley saying this was a narrow bill. No, this was not a narrow bill. This is infrastructure. You're dealing with wastewater. You, you, you cannot sit there and complain to me about and use the people of Flint as a something to campaign on and all this other stuff. And then when you have the opportunity to vote on it, you vote against it. You vote against Flint if you vote against this bill, right? Broadband. And I heard people say, well, you know, this is nothing in it for people of color. How many people of color are sitting there doing their homework in the parking lots of Starbucks because they don't have Wi-Fi at home? And a lot of those are people of color. So what they did was they introduced a bill and they passed a bill and a bill that would be signing the legislation that's going to help american people all american people now there's some really good stuff in build back better that we still have to advocate for but as we've been saying in previous weeks if we only got this if we only got this that would be monumental and we got this and we need to celebrate that so speaking of broadband and people of color i i totally we saw during the pandemic, right, a lot of uh, kids didn't have access to internet and they were trying to work home from school and everything like that. But this really is about, it's about that 100%. It's also really about rural voters, right? It's like there was a lot of areas in the rural in the rural parts of the country who didn't have access. Like we have access. In, I'm from Chicago, right? It's like internet is, is a standard at this point. And so that's not the case in a lot of places. So I think this will help those kind of voters who are in the middle of the country. But to be clear... Um, you said something I want to I want to run the opposite with. I wonder if this isn't a, a moment to spike the ball as much as it's a moment to. Sometimes when you win a game and the coach is at the podium and he's like, "This is what we did good. This is what we did good. This is what we did good." I wonder if it's we could do that and we could also do. This is going to help so many Americans. Why are Republicans disinterested in that? Instead of saying, "Look at what we did," why can't we say? Are the Republicans don't want the rural voters to have internet? Would you mind, uh, Peter Dushi, go ask your Republican constituents why they why they don't want to give their voters internet? Can you ask why they don't want to fix these bridges and roads? I, I wonder if there's a moment for us to do spike the ball. But here's the problem: I think when people say there's X amount of billion of dollars for rural broadband access, I don't think they understand what that means. So I wonder if it's a moment for us to be like. Can you ask why uh, Mitch McConnell does not want to have uh, in an infrastructure bill? Can you ask this person? I wonder if it's a moment where we could flip it and try to put the pressure on Republicans. I'm sick of, I'm kind of sick of us passing bills having to defend them. 
that are 75% of the country wants us to pass. And I wonder if we could be like, hey, we won the game, but go ask that guy about trying to do this or go ask them about hitting my player who ran up the middle of the field. And I wonder if we could do that. It would be more effective than trying to be like 120 billion when I don't think I understand people could grasp how much money that is. Well, I, I think one of the first thing you do is whenever there's uh, work in your district, or work not in your district, but say in an incumbent district, an incumbent Republican, you walk right over to that bridge is being built and say, uh, Rodney Davis voted against this. You know, Rodney Davis had a chance to help the people of the former 13th district, now the 15th district. And when he had a chance to help you, he said, no, he said, I'm not going to go ahead and make sure. Oh, you like your broadband? You see these kids out here who can study at home? Rodney Davis voted against that because of Rodney Davis. Uh, if it was up to Rodney Davis, they would not be able to have internet access, right? So I, I think, you know, you, you, you definitely pointed out. And, but it's one of the things that's important and part of the reason why we do have to do the victory lap is because the press will immediately um, want to pivot and talk about the impact and some of the other things. They want to talk about the process and they want to talk about how we got there. They want to talk about the holdouts. Um, but you know, some of the very people who, some of the very people who are uh, bemoaning the fact, and I'm talking about the media pundits, who are bemoaning the fact that nothing's ever bipartisan, will ignore the fact that not only was this bipartisan, and not just bipartisan in name only, you had 13 they vote, Republicans' votes made a difference, right? I mean, now granted, I'm still pissed at the six Democrats who didn't vote for it, but think about it. What if what if all the Democrats that vote, voted for it, and you got you still got your thirteen Republican votes? So thirteen Republican votes would not have made a difference, right? Because you actually had six, and Pelosi could only lose three. Because you had the six votes that voted against it, it actually was a really good example of bipartisanship. Because even though there were fewer people percentage wise in the House than the Senate, those fewer people did make a legitimate difference, and so. Um, and again, I, I'm, I'm not necessarily a big fan of bipartisanship, so I don't think that you need bipartisanship to validate stuff, but I know that many of the people being critical of the process and the messiness within the Democratic Party. Additionally, here's the other thing, though, too. People could say Democrats, Dems, in disarray. Pelosi only lost six votes. McCarthy lost 13. So basically, basically Pelosi was only able, was able to keep pretty much everybody but six of her members in line. McCarthy had lost 13 members. He lost twice as many members uh, as Pelosi did. So as much as we want to talk this mess about thems and disarray, Pelosi held the line much stronger than McCarthy held the line. Yeah, but I, I don't want to paint that picture that she lost six members. I'm not defending what they did. I guess what I'm saying is they would have voted. Uh, I guess they what they were trying to do was trying to they were trying to make a point and, and vote in tandem with the Build Back Better. I get it. And I'm criticizing well, well, Here's another anything. point, though, too, though. Here's another point. For people who care about inside baseball and, and optics and process, Pelosi lost her six, not because McCarthy courted them, but because yeah. they were mad with internal politics. Pelosi got... McCarthy lost his 13 because Pelosi courted them. So Pelosi was able to go into McCarthy's caucus and grab six, grab 13 votes. And that was because the Democrats sat there and dangled something in front of them. Pelosi lost her six, not because McCarthy courted them, just because they were going to be petulant and decided they were going to vote on principle. 
right? So I think that, and this is, again, we just said the public doesn't care process. This is something that's really worth it on cable talk news and in bar rooms throughout D.C. and where all political insiders. doesn't matter much to the general public, but for those of us who do pay attention to inside baseball, I think that point should be made. Yeah, I was running along that line just to say the 13 Republicans voted because that's what they thought was best for the country as it is. The six Democrats who voted against it was them trying to vote on a principle. They want the bill. They fought for the bill and they will um, vote for the bill in a different circumstance. But it's not because they're anti-infrastructure uh, as much as they just wanted to make a point, which, again, we could criticize all day long. But the Republicans voted because they're, they're, they voted in line with what the Democrats believe is the best for the country. So I totally think that's a fair point. The other point is I want to make is bringing it back to what we were just talking about with Virginia and gerrymandering and all that stuff. Um, it helped that we had a, a, a nice little uh, swearing in of Chantel Brown. She was able to vote. That was pretty cool. Get us some extra numbers. And we also have to keep in mind with 2022, I'm not being glass half full here. I'm not being a conspiracy theorist here, but Matt Gates' seat might be empty. Uh, Gosar's seat might be empty. There might be some Republican seats that are empty based off legal stuff that happens with January 6th and Matt Gates has his own problems, right? So we have to also keep that in mind that there's no way Matt Gates should have voted in that vote. There's no way that these people who are under investigation, at least, I know it's guilty and so proven, or not guilty and so proven, innocent, but Matt Gates has enough about him already that he should not, he should not be a congressperson right now. So I want to bring that into the big picture of some of these seats might be, if Republicans are expecting to have a two-seat majority, that might be in peril. Right. Just so you know, one thing, and I hate to bring it down, but the Chantel Brown's wearing in, uh, was both meaningful and meaningless at the same time. What I mean by that was there were two special elections in uh, in Ohio on Tuesday night. Uh, the Ohio 11, which is a Democratic seat, and Ohio 15, which is Republican seat. So we did not increase our margin. We did not increase our margin by swearing in Chantel because at the exact same time we swore in a new Democrat, we also swore in a new Republican. So, so I was, I mean, I was happy. I, well, at least we, got, at least we did, at least they didn't have an advantage. Right, right, right. Now, what's fascinating is one of the things that happened is there's a um, member of Congress by the name of Elsie Hastings who passed away last year, and he's in a deep Democratic seat. And DeSantis has been waiting to call that special election. He was slow walking that special election. Now, what's fascinating is he's finally, they had their primary, and I think they'll have that June, January 1st. The good news about the about if Gets goes down, um, Gets now has a longer window, meaning the Democrats will get that seat back in December, in, in January. And if Gets goes down next year, there will be a Democratic advantage, right? There'll be, be a Democratic advantage. There'll be, um, and same in those other places, if any of those people go down. Those all have to go to special elections, so you might have a period. If they all went down at the same time, you might actually have a period in which you have multiple people. Don't forget, a member. there's also a Republican member of Congress from Nebraska or somewhere that just got indicted. So he, he, so he could also go down, and that increases your margins. Um, you know, the, I think going back to Tuesday night, I think the biggest pain, but, you know, fortunately, I think both of our senators in uh, Virginia are healthy. The biggest thing that probably sucks about Tuesday night 
is that if something were to go wrong with one of our senators in Virginia, you now have a Republican in the position to appoint uh, probably another Republican. Uh, to me, that was probably the bigger loss. But fortunately, I think both Mark Warner and Tim Kaine are in good shape, knock wood. Um, you know, but it, it's it, it's fascinating. But, you know, now we're moving on to the um, the Build Back Better, which, as, a, as we were talking about before we went on air, um, I do think it should pass. I think that one of the things that came out is that the, the moderates were holding it up. But there's things that the moderates put in, that they got in, that this will probably be their only opportunity to get that they really want. So I think the moderates are just as incentivized to see Build Back Better pass. So I think that, I, I feel it's good. I feel good about the House. I'm not sure about what will happen when it gets to the Senate. But I think the other thing that was really weird about, and this is a process piece, and again, process is something that the general public does not care much about, and we have to remember that. Um, but I told you that the problem with reconciliation was even if it passed on Friday, it still has to go to the Senate. And then the Senate does what it's going to do, and then they have to vote again. They have to kind of agree. So... While I agree, I understand the principle that the squad was voting against and that they were supposed to go in tandem. What they did on Friday was just as good as tandem, so to speak, because reconciliation is not legislation as much as it's a process. And you would just be starting a new process that's still not going to land and land on time. So I do think that they got some you know, really good concessions from the moderates. I'm torn on this, as I've told you before, because um, I was one of those people who sort of felt like um, I was sick and I, the, the progressive holdouts were frustrating me, but I was also glad they were holding up because, as I said previously, I don't think we would have gotten what we got if the, if the progressives weren't so steadfast. But it's one of those things, um, it's... When you collect your winnings, you know, so you're at a poker table, right? You're gambling, you're gambling, you're gambling. When do you go ahead and decide to walk away from the table with your winnings before your winnings start becoming your losses? And I think that that's, that's how I kind of view what happened last week with um, finally going ahead and saying, okay, we have enough. We can vote for Build Back Better. I mean, we can vote for Biff. Yeah, um, I'm going to take it a different step. And I'm going to say that this will be a net positive, And here's why. If you passed it in tandem, I think it appears as one victory. And I think now you could claim a victory in infrastructure. Biden is expecting the week of Thanksgiving-ish, roughly, to, to deal with the Build Back Better plan, right? And so I wonder if you take the victory this week, which you clearly sees that Biden is doing. And then I wonder three weeks from now during the holidays, during when people need extra income and when people are very um, um, at home and, not, and paying attention, you sit, you claim another victory and say, hey, we just passed the $1.2 trillion bill. And then we're coming back with another $1.75 trillion uh, uh, reconciliation, uh, another bill, right? So I wonder if you could market this as Oh, you thought we weren't doing nothing, but here's this, here's this, here's this, here's this, here's this. And I wonder if this is a net positive. I know it appears right now on Twitter and on MSNBC and during DC and Pelosi's getting asked about it, et cetera, Dems in disarray, et cetera. 
I wonder if we could start changing the narrative and say, hey, sausage making is hard, but here's this cool Oktoberfest sausage, and here's a cool Thanksgiving sausage, and sausage making is hard, but look at the results. And I and that's what I would do. Marketing right. 101. And, and, you know, I think that's the thing that's probably – sometimes we, we assign malfeasance to the motives, and maybe Chuck, Todd, and all these people are really coming in good faith in their reporting, right? But let's assume that they're not. What's really funny is I do think that if this is bottom for Biden, the Republicans are in trouble because the reality is, is they were, you know, the, the, the think about what they're talking about on Tuesday about how, you know, Dems in disarray. If they, once they do these two and maybe a couple of other pieces, they'll be able to campaign on, we did that. Yeah, we did that. As opposed to nothing got done, nothing got accomplished. Think about it. What we haven't done, I'm surprised you and I haven't made the joke yet. We had Infrastructure Week on a regular basis under Trump for four years. We kept having Infrastructure Week, and it never came to fruition. Joe Biden has been in office for nine weeks, and there will be no more Infrastructure Weeks other than celebrating the infrastructure. Infrastructure Week is no more. You can put down, you know, but here's the question. Is Infrastructure Week technically the week that it passes or the week after it passes when so that that that's that that's that's a question should is celebration is, is is infrastructure week the week that we finally go ahead and we lead up to it and it's going to pass or should infrastructure be the week that it passes and it's or after it passes what 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 is when when is the official in your mind if you were going to create a calendar and an almanac and tell people that they're going to celebrate infrastructure week what, what is infrastructure week in your mind I tend to believe that the the week leading up to the Super Bowl is Super Bowl week. And then once the Super Bowl happens, it's not Super Bowl week no more. But as I just said, with my whole split it up and take two victories, last week was infrastructure week. And then when we do the, rec- the, the build back better, that's infrastructure week. Let's just keep shoving it down their throats because this was a big sticking point with Trump. He got sick of the jokes. He started calling people to stop making the jokes. And I just say run with it. If not, more just to piss them off. <laughs> well, you, and okay, I got it. So the bill signing, so infrastructure week, you're right. It's the week leading up. And then the bill signing is the parade, right? Is, is, yeah. Is, is, yeah. The bill signing is the parade. So so Nancy Pelosi can get drunk like Tom Brady got drunk during the uh, during the Tampa Bay celebration. And, and, and everyone. For sure, for sure. And, 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 and I guess well, even though I'm now mixing sports and and situations, I guess I guess the squad, are are, are Scotty Pippen sitting out for the last six seconds? Remember, remember the time, <laughs> remember the time Scotty pulled himself out of the game. So the squad is the Scotty Scotty sitting for six seconds. <laughs> it was it was one point it was one point two seconds, John, and I put my head down because. Scotty has not had a good month, and I'm such a Scotty fan that it was just like too much. I don't want to pile on. He's my favorite basketball player, but he needs to chill right now. So, uh, yeah, I hear you. That's not a bad analogy. It's glad is Scotty sitting out the last play. <laughs> In 15 years, they're going to be pissed off about a documentary gets made. And so, but you know, um, some of the other things that happened last week is. And this broke late in the week, and you may not even be familiar with it. There's a group called Project Veritas, James O'Keefe, who is notorious for setting up progressives and liberals 
over the years to destroy a group called Acorn, which I really cared a lot about back in 2008. Um, it turns out that they're being investigated for potentially stealing Ashley Biden's uh, uh, diary. Um, and the FBI raided his house on Saturday, raided his apartment or his house on Saturday. It, don't you think that Merrick Garland and his his um, Justice Department is going to suck until it doesn't? What I mean by that is we might be micromanaged and we might all become lawyers and prosecutors, internet prosecutors and internet judges. That we this is how we would run the Justice Department, and then maybe by the end of his term, you know, sometimes uh, Kevin Rivers don't serve a full term, but by the time he's gone, we'll be like, damn, he did a pretty good job. He, you know, he's not acting the way we want him to act. But he's also doing some stuff that's pretty damn significant, and at the and and it's but it's because a lot of us who are questioning what he's doing don't really have any experience in what he does, and and we have Bill Barr and um, Jeff Sessions to go off of, um, and we all of a sudden we have become experts on something that we really truly don't understand. Uh, what's your assessment on 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 the way that Garland is kind of like? disappointing us but at the same token he's doing some stuff that we can't ignore that's pretty damn bold um i think a little bit here is uh this is gonna sound crazy but like a little bit of hollywood and tv kind of psychs us out a little bit there's always that new sheriff in town and he cleans everything up by by the end of the movie and everything's pitch perfect and the the reality is like this stuff is is decades old of issues and and he's there's also a little PR here where they're worried about overcorrection and going too much. I think they just want to have their eyes dotted and their T's crossed. We've seen where it's helpful, where they're suing Texas and, and that judge put a stop to it, which was later withheld, whatever, right? Like it's a process, and I think they just want to make sure that they're coming correct. The problem becomes this is you're on a limited time. Right. If you if you lose two thousand, if you're setting up cases that take fifteen years to process, you you're not going to be the AG if you lose in two thousand twenty four. Right. So the part of the problem is we need to act swiftly. There's another problem that January sixth is very possible to happen again. Right. So you have to start fixing stuff before you really could have long term successes. You got to fix the problems that we have now. I think what he's done is we're not in a hole no more, and he's starting to fill that hole. Uh, we just have to start planting trees. Uh, it's a weird analogy, but uh, just because we stop digging doesn't mean that necessarily it's it's set up perfectly, if that makes sense. Right, and I think one of the things that uh, like legal observers will tell you, and again, even within the legal observer community, there's you know people that I follow um, that are on multiple sides of the same issue, right? Uh, and and people that I really agree with who are, you know, whether it's Glenn Kirchner or any of the. Uh, um, Sisters-in-law, as they call them, the, the, the female prosecutors who, who are all on MSNBC. Sometimes they all differ on some of the same issues. But I think what they're trying to – so I think one of the arguments is he doesn't want to build, build flimsy cases. He, want to build, he wants to build strong cases. But to your point, he also has a limited time. But, you know, to show you how the challenge is, and this is where Garland might be old school in a good and bad way. Um, you realize that in a lot of areas of government, not just the Justice Department, but most areas of government, there's what they call political appointees, of which I was when I served in the governor's office, and then there's career people, bureaucrats. 
the bureaucrats are really the ones who really make Justice Department work. And they what they do is they're consistent regardless of who the president is. And what's really fascinating, going back to this James O'Keefe piece, this investigation started under Bill Barr. Now, I think we cannot discount the political games <clears throat> that a new Republican administration would play with the Justice Department. And so that speaks to your urgency. But there is also something that Barr believes in that is both probably misguided but also realistic in that if you do certain things the right way, these things will be so far gone that even if he's replaced, these investigations will be so ingrained and kind of taking a life on their own, life of their own, right? So that even if he and the Democrat are no longer in charge, the work's been done. It's almost like, you know, you can't just pull up stakes now. I don't know if that's, you know, you and I are not experts in this area, so I don't know if that's realistic, but I think that's what he's doing is I think he knows what you're saying, but he also knows that if I build a strong, solid foundation for these cases, they're going to survive regardless of of if I'm here or not. I think that's his expectation. I don't know if it's naive or not, but I think that's his expectation. Uh, I don't want to use the word naive. I use the word optimistic, uh, hopeful. But we know that specifically if Trump wins in 2024, they could put the kibosh on a lot of these investigations in reality, right? Um, we know that he would do that, and he would um, – maybe George Bush wouldn't, or maybe um, Ted Cruz wouldn't, or maybe uh, uh, Mitt Romney wouldn't. But I don't think those guys are winning in 2024, right? So I, that's my only worry is that you could be optimistic that institutions will hold, um, but Trump was an institution wrecker. So I, I don't have the same optimism I, I'd much rather we get it done, and it looks it looks uh, uh, partisan, but at the same time, it's what's right. So we can't we can't we can't adhere our behavior to optics at this point. We just have to do what we believe is best. Right. Uh, and speaking of which, and um, I do have a personal connection to this on the, but I don't want to go too far into it. Is um, you had a young lady who took part in a res- uh, insurrection who claimed that she was not going to prison because uh, she is blonde and white and et cetera. And a certain judge who, if you look at him, uh, doesn't look African-American, but he is, and I know that because we have some of the bloodlines, sent her to prison for 60 days. Um, uh, What was your reaction when you saw the, you know, and people are complaining that it was a light sentence, but she, she had a misdemeanor. I don't know if he could have really given her more, and I think, you know, for what she was charged with, she probably could have just gotten probation, but he made an example of her. What did you think of that uh, sentence that was handed down this week? Uh, the first thing I thought of was when I read those tweets that she's not going to jail was uh, I just pictured Maury's face saying, and the lie detector proves <laughs> that that is a lie, right? Uh, six. I don't know what she did. I didn't read the whole uh, scenario, but if she was in the building... Uh, 60 days is a little for, light. If she stayed outside so for two minutes. Yeah. I don't I'm know. Like walking. In I'm, or anything. I'm under the impression, John, and call me a cynic. I'm under the impression that if it was me and some of my people of my religion and, and culture, that 60 days would have been not the case. Right. So that's the only thing I'll say is 
it's hard to tell because you can see the, the, the privilege and the biases in happening in real time. But um, I'm also under the impression that you could lock all these people up for Rico under that cop being killed. So I don't know. 60 days is light for an insurrection. I've, I have people in jail right now for weed that is legal. So it's just, it sucks. And I, and I know that you can't put all 600 of those people away for life. I totally get it. I can't be like a prison reform person and be like, lock them up. Right. But at the same time, this was like an attempted coup. And there was, there were, if, if you, if she's on video saying, hang Mike Pence, that's a threat to the vice president of the United States. And 60 days does not seem like enough. Well, I, I, it's, it's, I, you know, one of the things I'm not sure if uh, Judge Cooper uh, is one of the people who voiced a concern. You know, there's been a few, few judges who have voiced concern about how light, not the sentences were, but the charges were. So I mm -hmm. also think, though, the two that, you know, certain charges, you know, carry certain things. And I guess what I'd like to see is what other people who just literally walked in and milled around and walked out you know, what, what type of charges they're facing, because that's kind of what she's accused of. And so yeah. the thing is, and, and the reality is if she just walked in, milled around and walked out um, without tweeting that she wasn't going to go to jail and without being so high profile, she might she might literally be on the side of a street picking up trash for a week, right? But And I also think, though, too, would you agree? And I definitely don't want to diminish uh, what people who don't belong in jail who are serving long, longer sentences um, are up against, but there's probably something about being privileged where one one day in jail for her is probably going to ha is going to be the same as like one month for some folks who have been in and out a few times. Um, I do think, and and I think sixty days is something where I think sixty days is you get sixty days. You don't get. Did you know that? <clears throat> If you do a, if you're sentenced to a year, you can actually serve less time. But if you're sentenced to anything under a year, you have to serve the full sentence. Did you know that? Like you're better. Well, I don't think Mark, I don't think Paris Hilton was there for like two nights and she bounced the yeah, but that was, could find no, it. no, yeah, that was a state charge on federal charges. <clears throat> federal okay. charges, you're better off getting a year and a day than getting like. 11 months because if you because if you get a year yeah, in a day, yeah. you can get out early if you get if you get under a year you could if you get under a year you cannot get out early or something i've got to look that up so uh again i am i i went to law and order uh svu university so you know my legal advice can be taken with suspect but on that note for now this is john signing off this is Fadi signing off thanks for joining us guys <laughs>